Man, so we know each other for quite a while yeah. and it's uh, great to see uh, like amazing transition that you did uh, through the startup. Your startup was acquired by, by Relier, the company in which you are at the moment. And you went from head of analytics uh, to like uh, CDO, head of analytics, VP of engineering and CDO. So this is a really interesting um, career uh, oh. within like a really short period. So, so, so man, like first, first thing that I wanted to ask, how different it is to work today as a CTO versus like doing the, the same thing in a startup. Yeah. It's, um, it, it's, it's interesting. I mean, if I were to reflect on, on, on being a CTO during the Neokami times in the startup, um, it was completely different in the sense that, um, you know, half a hat that I was wearing was basically more of a lead architect kind of, kind of guy, um, specifically, um, you know, working on, on low level design together with the engineers. Um, and then the other half of the hat that I was wearing was basically, um, actually working on the culture of the company, growing the engineering team and, and, you know, managing engineers. And if I look at my CTO role today, um, I have very little people management. I only have three direct reports. Um, and I, I don't have the privilege or pleasure, however, however way you want to look at it, of spending so much time, um, you know, shaping culture. Um, uh, all that much. I can shape software engineering culture in the company, but it, it's it's very, very far away from the development teams um, doing um, the work in the trenches, so to say. And that's that's challenging. It, I, I feel like I'm at least three or four la layers away from where the action is happening. So that makes decision-making a little bit more difficult and it makes the work a lot more abstract. Um, I think, ironically, when I joined Relayer um, as, as, as head of analytics, it was a lot more similar to my CTO role prior to that. Um, you know, had a team in Munich, was working on low-level stuff, but just kind of on a thin slice, focusing on analytics. Right now, it's like extremely broad and extremely far away from the uh, from the actual development efforts. Um, so I rely on people that are orders of magnitude smarter than I will ever be to kind of feed information um, back up um, and help me um, do my job at the end of the day. Cool. Thanks. That, that's, that's super interesting. You mentioned in this that currently you have three the, uh, people with whom you uh, work. Could you like describe the structure and who they are, what they do? Yeah. I mean, one of the, um, uh, to backtrack for a second, one of the main things that I had um, wanted to focus on when I took on the VP engineering role in Relayer was to create this um, split in the career trajectory for people. Uh, specifically, um, before that, we used to have um, basically managers um, that were um, both technical leads and also people managers. And that was a, a bit of a challenging situation because you had uh, really good technical talent that had very little inclination to manage people. Um, so they were kind of set up to fail and or not doing the thing that they were enjoying. And you had extremely good uh, people managers that were suddenly also having to have uh, to make technical decisions. Um, Again, something that they were not necessarily comfortable with. Um, so what we did was we we split these two career paths, um, um, starting with the senior level. And you can go on a managerial track, managing a small team, managing um, uh, a team of managers. 
um, all the way to VP engineering or even CTO. Um, and the other track is basically what you would see as a staff engineer, principal engineer, um, senior principal engineer. So really expert roles that kind of go deep um, on, in specific areas of, of work. And um, part of this part of this expert group um, now constitutes what we call the technical leadership group in, in Relayer. So these are these are the folks that think about um, architectural design principles. Um, they think about you know technical landscape. They think about all right, which tool do we adopt when, um, and how do we reconcile the strategic roadmap on the technology level of the organization with the actual product development backlogs and so on. Part of that technical leadership group is is essentially a subset is called the CTO office. Those people basically report to me. That's effectively you can you can think of it as a, as a, as a small governance group, um, and they work together with the technical leadership, kind of like cascading um, into the rest of the organization. Um, I in general I have um, I suppose principal and above report to me. Um, so that that would correspond to a, to a director level on the managerial track. Okay, that's an interesting structure. Cool that you divided in like the guys who are focused on text and the guys who are focused on people. I yeah. think that's that's uh, a good way to go. I, I think it, it it goes though without saying that when we hire people managers, we do hire people that have a background in software. So um, naturally, people managers need to understand um, that software development isn't easy. Um, and um, they, they also need to be able to appreciate the challenges that the teams are going through um, and how to, to support them. Um, so we're, we are still focusing on people that have some sort of, you know, developer background, team lead background, something like that. Okay. Yeah. And corporate language is German or English? I would say it's 99% English. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, we're we're an international company. Uh, we have we have an office in Berlin. We have an office in Munich. We have an office in in Katowice in Poland. We have an office in in Chicago, and then we have a whole bunch of remote people um, in in Europe, but also um, in, in in Poland. So it's um, you can imagine there's a lot of kind of cultural challenges as well, but um, we also have to use English as our as our main language. Good. It's 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 not so obvious because uh, while while I was working for BMW, the language was German only. Yeah. You know, so and and I had the experience like most of the companies, even the IT companies yeah. back then, like well, a few years ago, they were still yeah. in German despite like official language. Let's say tech language is yeah. English usually, right? So, so that's that that's cool. And man, as a CDO, like. Uh, how do you build the team around you? you? You have like a three people and before you were like a VP of engineering. And I know that building leadership team around you, it's really, really difficult. So do you check like uh, what kind of person type of personality this person is like, you know, some some assessment tests or just, you know, you just feel it after after a few years, let's say, uh, of experience? Yeah. I, I wish I could claim there's like a rigorous process there, uh, but it's more like the latter, like like a, a, a feeling pr perspective. Obviously, you know, people are are promoted in the organization, um, you know, based on the impact that they're making, based on the values that they exhibit. So it's, you know, um, most of the work is already done for me because there's there's a lot of technical leaders that grow in the rank. What I'm particularly looking for personally is 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 well, are individuals that are entrepreneurial. Um, and individuals that, um, I suppose, uh, have initiative, 
um, and push things through. Um, and I, I think these are like the, the two main components. Obviously, you know, technical expertise is super important, um, but that's also something that um, we all develop continuously. I think uh, you know this very well, you know, the uh, technical expertise is such a kind of a fluid term. Um, every six months, you probably realize that some of what you knew is becoming outdated, and then there's always something new to think about. Um, so, so I, I, I place more value here on on, on soft skills, entrepreneurial thinking, and, and and the sense of getting things done. Okay. And how about like the roles? Um, let's start maybe with the VP of engineering. Yeah. Because like before, you you said you had like uh, around one hundred fifty people yeah. uh, reporting. Let's say reporting to you. And could you describe like what was your uh responsibility there maybe what kind of metrics have you followed yeah i think um the the answer doesn't change i mean uh, today we're probably getting better at it but the the answer is largely the same um so in general what i what i found and and again i i don't think this is my own wisdom i think the industry also agrees it's it's very challenging to compare team performance you know, you can start measuring velocity and all sorts of KPIs with regards to team performance. But if you if you compare those KPIs with some sort of golden standard in the industry, um, you will most likely uh, not be fair towards the team. Um, I think it boils down to to measuring things, having a baseline, and then having a culture of continuous improvement against that baseline. Um, and I think you you will find you know even in Relayer we have quite a few teams today each of them has has a different velocity each of them has a different understanding of what a t-shirt size or number of story points correspond to what so it's very difficult to have an apples versus orange an apples versus apples comparison but what is important is is continuous improvement always looking at you know how can how can i become 1% better on my next try um, and I think that's what drives performance. Of course, industry uh, industry standards can give you a bit of a direction and 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 give you a sense of how you can benchmark yourself. Um, but I, I I don't think it's fair to look at those in isolation. Typically, what we're looking at today is a mixture of, I suppose you could you could consider them Jira metrics. Um, so how good are we at estimating our own work? closing the work that we commit to how well are we how well do we document the work that needs doing which has an effect on how it's scoped has an effect on how much unplanned work you have to do afterwards when you realize things are a little bit more complicated than you thought um, and the other piece is um, we, we also look at and this is kind of a newer development we also look at github um, so we're interested in in metrics around uh, cycle time we're, we're interested in understanding uh, are we spending a little bit too much time reviewing do we have too many cooks do we have too many people um, or too few people doing reviews kind of understanding where the bottlenecks are and how we can kind of open up um, the the process a little bit uh, i would say though that that the latter piece on on github is is more in the uh is more immature um process wise and it's something that we're actively working on um Ideally, we get to the point where everything that is in Jira matches what is on GitHub, and then you have one source of truth, which I would argue is GitHub, but right now we don't have that luxury. Okay. And how this is different uh, to your current role? What is the difference like within, as a CTO and like VP of engineering? How my role today as a CTO is different to the VP engineer? Yeah. I would say that... Um, 
reflecting and and again it's it's been it's been a while so maybe my 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 estimations are a bit off but when I think about my time breakdown as VP engineering, I was probably spending 20% of my time on technical strategy and the other 80% of my time in, um, you know, meetings with, with managers, meeting with meetings with managers of managers, doing skip levels, um, and, and trying to, um, to, I suppose, in, understand the intricacies of team performance. Um, but that didn't leave a lot of time for the actual discussions and, and thinking around, well, how should we execute against our technical strategy? And what is our technical strategy at the end of the day? Mm. Um, so if I look at my role today, I would say it's 80% um, technical strategy and the rest of the 20% basically interacting with various stakeholders, either on the sea level or um, as part of engineering management. So I'm, I'm really um, spending the vast majority of my time on, on technical strategy, I would say. Okay. Do you have any metrics or OKRs, uh, like which you report to to other like C level guys? Yeah, we have um, not 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 in the classical sense. Um, so there is there is OKRs that, for instance, the CTO office team has around how good are we in articulating the strategy. So we have. Um, you know, every couple of quarters, we, 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 we take a pulse of the organization. We see how people can do people understand the strategy. Um, are people executing against, against the strategy? And that's what drives a set of OKRs. Um, the other piece is we are in the midst of, um, I suppose, rather large platform revamp. And we have metrics around what is the adoption of the new services? Are we phasing out at the pace that we are expecting to phase out services? Um, so more focused on the execution today. But I would say they're they're really situational in the sense that um, you know this year we have this focus, so that drives a couple of metrics. Next year we'll have a different focus, um, so that will drive an entirely new different um, set of metrics. I think CTO roles in general are are very difficult to measure. It's the kind of thing of uh, it's probably a classic analogy, but like if someone as a CTO misses something like a key development in technology, such as you know Docker or moving to the cloud or the internet at absurdum, right? Then it's a pretty it's pretty fair to say that that person probably wasn't paying attention or doing his or her job. Um, but that's that's the kind of event you see every once a decade or every five years. So it's 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 very difficult to judge a CTO by is he or she keeping up with uh, the technological developments out there. Uh, you you only really know that you've missed the train, well, when you're still in the train station. Um, so that makes it a little bit challenging. That that's interesting because like if you are talking about the strategy and following the trends, yeah. like yeah, uh, I'm always thinking about it uh, that this is. Just to simplify it, it, you need to read a lot of books. You need to read a lot, like uh, look around the internet and yeah. like follow like the conferences and so on. So educate yourself a lot yeah. to kind of like to build the strategy. So it's yeah. like constant learning. It's part of a job, right? Yeah, I think um, um, there's 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 the learning bit, and there's a lot of material, conferences, you know, kind of papers on all sorts of topics and, and up and coming, um, you know, trends and software and the like. Um, but what is also, I think, critical is, is being able to kind of sift through the noise mm. and recognize hype from reality as well. Um, 
And obviously, there is a couple of technologies that um, that are not proven, so it's difficult for me to call them hype. Obviously, um, too early to call them hype. But at the same time, and maybe an anecdote, I can tell you an example around blockchain. I mean, blockchain was all the buzz a few years ago. Um, even last last year, before the entire meltdown in the space uh, happened, it was everyone was 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 raving about Web three, new paradigms. Everything's going to shift to token based economies and decentralized organizations and all sorts of stuff. And for the longest time, um, you know, the organization was during the, the, the blockchain hype, the organization was challenged like, well, do you have blockchain? Are you going to release a token? Are you going to do like a token based economy for this thing or that other thing? We even had like a few years ago, um, a group of engineers um, doing a, like making a real to- issuing a real token way back when. And that was, you know, I'm comfortable with saying, well, we didn't do anything really with that. And it may very well be hype, uh, but had we basically doubled down and followed the hype around blockchain, we would have probably been really wasting our time. Um, there are, you know, obviously legitimate use cases, um, but I think I think it's it's important to not only look at what's out there, but also really apply a critical eye. Like, is it relevant? Is it going anywhere? Is it really delivering value for my customers? Um, or is it a margin eater, but something that we feel good about talking because uh, we, we feel good about talking about because it's really cutting edge. That's kind of how it goes, uh, at least in my pers- perspective, in my experience. Um, the other pieces, well, um, engineers as well bring a lot of stuff. Um, you know, it, it's kind of a network effect in some sense. Uh, engineers are also snooping around. They're, they're, they're looking at what's out there. They're also going to their own conferences and they're bringing information back. And it's, it's also a question of, uh, synthesizing, um, everything that is, that is being brought into the organization. You are talking about stuff like blockchain, like, uh, web three, three O and that kind of stuff. And I'm really interested like do you see any trends like uh, do you see any stuff that you are passionate about that could be the next uh, thing like th- now uh, there's a lot of talking about the low code no code solutions right so like some stuff like that yeah i mean there's a lot there's a lot of forces at play i think the um if i would if i were to look in the space that wheeler finds itself in um y- I think there's a there's a lot there's a huge potential um and it's probably being accelerated today by you know stuff like remote work covid and all that stuff there's a huge potential in what the industry calls I suppose cyber physical systems um being able to kind of marry this this world of physical things with um virtual environments where people can work collaboratively and I would say IoT obviously is um, is a barrier of entry. You need to be able to 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 take the pulse of the assets. You need to connect to them. Uh, but I think the real interesting bits um, happen a little bit further up the stack, where you can actually um, interact with assets remotely. You can actually um, interact potentially with other colleagues on the shop on the remote shop floor. And this is where you see like really incipient um, developments. I mean, I, I can point to the Omniverse from NVIDIA. I know they also have like a pilot with BMW in Munich. Um, there is movement. Um, naturally, it's too early to say, well, this is a game changer for the productivity of people, or this is a game cha- changer for the factory floor, or do we, will we finally have factories where we can turn the lights off and, and no one has to go there? We're ways off from that, but um, I think it's really interesting, interesting development um, that that I personally keep on my radar. There's obviously also, um, I think, 
if you look at the hyperscalers in general, if you look at the likes of Microsoft or Amazon and the like, um, they are also slowly but surely moving up the stack as well. And that leaves a lot of room for um, essentially focusing more on, on data-driven um, services um, and, and less on, well, how do I get this telemetry from, from, from the shop floor to my cloud? Uh, it, it kind of frees up uh, the, uh, the it, it eases the cognitive load for engineers to think about um, um, more interesting, more advanced use cases. Um, yeah. Okay. Do you code from time to time or emails 99%? Privately only. Um, so I, 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 I think the last time I was, I was active, actively doing coding was during my time as, as analytics director, um, maybe three years ago or so. So I was still, um, uh, doing, uh, working on our Spark jobs, um, um, primarily Java and a little bit of Python as well. Um, after that, I, I, I haven't really had the luxury. I, I call it a luxury still, um, to, <laughs> to actually get my hands dirty. I would like to, but, um, there's just not enough time. Yeah, I get it. Um, what do you like to read? Like any magazines or any websites like to be, you know, on, on track to, to, to see the yeah, trends? I mean, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of material out there and, and I, it's difficult for me to be like super exhaustive. I think mm. much like, uh, every other engineer, you know, I, I, I keep up with, with hacker news, though that also turns in more into political commentary rather than tech news these days. Um, I, I like to read, um, I like to read the architecture books. Um, I think something that people don't necessarily think about enough, um, is, you know, what are the forces driving software engineering today? And if you look at uh, the barrier of entry towards becoming a software engineer, it's becoming a lot easier for people to, um, to, to pick up coding if they're interested and inclined to do so, of course. Um, so that means you have, um, um, a non-trivial number of people that come from an entirely different field and into software development. Um, at the same time, you have um, uh, offerings, products that are growing in complexity. Um, I, 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 I don't want to, I suppose, um, discount, you know, everyone has a phone these days. And by virtue of having a phone, you have a whole lot of apps that drive expectations for you as a, as a user. You know, it would have been easy 20 years ago to say, well, one of our users is, is, uh, is, uh, is a technician on a shop floor. And of course he doesn't have like super high expectations, but now everyone has high expectations vis-a-vis -vis responsiveness, vis-a-vis -vis quality of the experience, vis-a-vis -vis depth of the insights that you're getting, you know, simply because it's, it's super, super common. So in general, the complexity of software is, is going up. Um, what is not evolving at a, at a reasonably, uh, high pace from my perspective is the, are the tools, um, on architecture. I would say that, that they're not proportional to the speed on the software del delivery side. I would say that, um, it, it continues to be a challenging topic, topics around how do I, how do I create a software product that can change over time without, you know, without too much friction. I think change is really the main coordinate when it comes to software engineering. So long ramble, but that's why I, I, I really am, am, am quite passionate about um, reading architecture books. Um, I think too that that come to mind from more recent memory and I don't want to do a disservice to the others uh, that, that kind of fell off in, in my uh, 
in, in my recent memory uh, drawer. Um, one is um, evolutionary architectures. Is one that I would recommend. Um, the other one is um, the software architect elevator. Um, the latter is is quite interesting because it it also goes into what it means to be able to have a common vocabulary when you are on the shop floor talking to engineers and you need to speak their language. You need to to be able to to connect with them, use use the same terminology, and appreciate the the uh, the work that they're doing. Jump onto the elevator. You know, go a few floors up, speak to a, speak to a, an engineering director about what is happening on the shop floor, but again with the appropriate vocabulary, and then jump back on the elevator and go up in the executive suit, where you basically have to, you know, talk a, on a completely different abstraction level about what's happening on the shop floor. And I think this is a super important skill for any kind of aspiring um, architect, CTO. Um, and even for an engineer, I think um, anecdotally, the most successful engineers tend to be the ones that can, you know, speak the language of engineers when they're with engineers, but like, you know, go a little bit higher and 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 make things understandable for for uh, for people in management, as an example. Um, I think those are the two that that I would recommend. Okay, cool. And uh, two last questions that I have. Uh, one is kind of like you you a bit answered this already, but. Is there any book, podcast, or a thing that uh, helped you a lot or changed you a lot during the last like last couple of years? So one part is oh, you already mentioned those two book about the architecture, but I'm I'm thinking maybe about something from the soft skills part, like something what what helped you transition. I think there's a lot. Um, I, I I think you can. Um, an interesting podcast that I follow is it's called Moonshots, um, and it's 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 effectively looking at what are the habits, principles, um, you know, pillars that that um, entrepreneurs out there um, basically um, tend to follow or tend to subscribe to. And again, there's no kind of recipe, uh, one size fits all approach. It really depends on the industry, depends on the background, depends on the team, depends on so many things. Um, but I would say the uh, moonshots is something that uh, kind of deconstructs um, some of the more famous, but also less famous people out there. And, and they try to understand, all right, what are the driving forces for these people? Um, Obviously, nice to reflect on, but um, I, I think soft skills mostly come from within. It's not something you learn on a podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, uh, man, and uh, I uh, didn't understand exactly uh, the, the structure around you. So you're yeah. the CDO, and you you have like three guys next to you. So you have probably in the same place the VP of engineering, right? Yeah, and the two other guys. I have three principal engineers reporting to me. Um, from a structure perspective, you can think about the CTO focusing on the how on, and on reconciling technical strategy with business strategy. And you can think of the SVP engineering as being basically the, uh, the line manager for, all, for the entire engineering population. And it's a, kind of a yin and yang um, situation. Um, I obviously cannot succeed without buy-in and support from the SVP engineering. Um, and um, the way it goes, I mean, we, we transitioned to, um, to a matrix organization. So in principle, technical leadership, even if it doesn't report to me, has a dotted line of reporting into the CTO. Um, 
and we are we are spending I'm not sure if it's enough time, uh, but we are starting to spend more time reflecting on, you know, what's the breakdown of work? How much of the work that people are doing is basically um, feature roadmap? How much of the work is um, you know, working on technical strategy, adopting stuff from the from the strategic roadmap, and how much of it is technical depth, as an example, and trying to kind of find some some rules of engagement there so as to minimize friction because it's always uh, you know an ongoing discussion all right do i work on this feature or do i adopt this new technology because the tech roadmap says so like how do i how do i split my time um so that's um but that's kind of the cross play um okay yeah got it if you if you consider the 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 split that i was describing earlier between people managers and, and technical leaders you would think that the cto is on one end and this svp engineering is on the other end mm, okay Okay, got it. Uh, last thing, what this is uh, really interesting for me personally, how do you compare the stress like startup level and now at this level? Is it like similar but different environment or is it like a less stressful? Like how how do you feel? How wow. do you feel it? That's a difficult question. Um, I think it, it's different stress because you're stressing about different things and you don't you know this very well, right? Um, in startup mode, you, you stress about runway a lot more. You stress about every expense. You stress about, am I going to make this, this, um, this pitch next week so that I can have basically enough runway for another six months? It's, it's, you know, am I doing enough? Am I, am I looking enough at product market fit? Um, am I, am I nimble enough? I think it's a it's a different kind of stress. You know, in a startup, you pivot so many times. You just kind of try things out. You throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Um, so it's um, it is a flavor of stress that I don't see here. Um, here, the stress is more. Um, you know, how do all of these levels of the organization effectively work together? How do we make sure that um, that we don't have um, um, that we're executing on the right things, that the communication was crisp enough, that not in, that that things didn't go lost in translation. And you can imagine uh, there's there's many moving pieces. There's if you look at it as a as a as a graph problem, I suppose um, you have so many peoples and so many kind of arrows of communication and so many bottlenecks of communication, and and that's that's driving stress. I would argue that with with perfect communication and perfect transparency, stress would go down. Um, but that's that's just uh, the nature of being in a larger organization. Um, so still stressful, but different uh, different different flavors of stress. Not that one's better than the other. I think. Yeah. Hey man, great. Yeah. Great talk. Like to be honest, like really cool answer, really interesting. Yeah. Thank uh, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah.